Yes, folks, sorry, we could not resist. If you missed it this week, go to Tiger Neck, check out the video of the Clemson legend Tribble Reese singing uh, Call Me Maybe by Carly Rae Jepsen on a Southwest flight. Good stuff, great guy, hung out with him for a little bit, uh, just happened to run into him down in Phoenix uh, a couple years ago at the national championship game. Go check out that video, it is pure gold. Welcome back to the podcast, folks. It is August 12th, 2017. The Hill Watch is at 21 days. Clemson just held their annual fall scrimmage, and life is good. Ben and Cody here with you today. Uh, Tully is not with us, so the podcast is currently on the road. We have moved from the comfy confines of Tully's garage to some big, empty, open room that Cody's paying $2,000 a month for uh, in the inner Richmond neighborhood of San Francisco. And I have good news to report. Cody actually bought the beer today for us. Uh, usually he's drinking my beer, so Cody, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. You're a great host. Yeah, when you're paying what I'm paying in rent, you know, you cut every corner you can. You don't pay your friends back. You definitely don't send them Venmo when you say you're going to. And you definitely don't buy your own beer. So, you know, you know, cheers up. My treat. Yeah, I'm also going to let you buy first rounds at the bar after this. Um, like I said, welcome, folks. If this is your first time listening to us, we hope you enjoy the show. You can engage with us on Facebook or Twitter. Leave us a review on iTunes or subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. We are the podcast. We are three guys that talk about Clemson sports. If you have an hour to kill driving in traffic, we know if you're in the Charleston area, you are stuck behind all of Tully's uh, Ohio people. You know, plug us in, take a listen, kill some time, and learn about Clemson sports. We know you're otherwise sitting there refreshing your browser all day. We're a good way to skip all that and get you the latest uh, Clemson action uh, through your headphones. And if you haven't checked out our last couple episodes, we've done a pretty comprehensive offense and defense preview of this year's team, taking a look at who we have coming back, who we have coming in, and who we think are going to turn some heads uh, coming into this season. And then also, uh, Tully did an interview with uh, Shaking the Southlands, Ryan Cantor. They did a discussion on per uh, the perceived top programs in college football and how they stack up against one another over an extended period of time in regards to tradition, coaching, facilities, and recruiting. Good stuff there. Uh, Tully's going to be doing some more upcoming interviews. Uh, he's going to have Chili and Willie Mack, founders of uh, past Clemson blogs, Danny Ford is God and Block C. And then also he's going to bring back the college football playoff roundtable crew from last year. He's going to have UW Dan, OSU Joe, and Bama, Bama Dozer, everybody's favorite. And then we're also going to try to sprinkle in some more interviews uh, throughout the season, maybe even before the year starts. So be on the lookout for that. And then also we're going to have a couple more shows leading up to the start of the season. Uh, the next one, we will continue re to report on fall practice and give what we think are reasonable expectations for this team coming into this year. And then also we'll follow that up by a season preview where we'll analyze the schedule, break down our major opponents, and take a look at the college football landscape in general. Today we're going to take a look at uh, some storylines in fall camp so far. As I mentioned, Clemson had their annual fall scrimmage today. Not a lot of news coming out of that, but some tidbits that we'll touch on. And then we're also going to take a look uh, at Clemson. Clemson now, 
the powerhouse in college football, how Clemson is the tar- will have a target on its back, as they did coming into last year. Uh, but also translate that to what does that look like in the ACC? What does that look like for Clemson's schedule year in and year out? No longer does Clemson have an easy road, not just being the target, but the ACC is much improved. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today. But before we get into Clemson football, first, Cody, what everybody was watching this week, the Houston Texans at the Carolina Panthers, Deshaun Watson looked amazing in his NFL debut this week. He looked, okay, everyone says, I'm going to say what everyone has said from Skip Bayless to, uh, to Colin Cowherd. They said he showed a lot of poise. He looked very comfortable. He looked like a natural. But I will, in the moment, that's exactly what I told you. He's such a natural. And honestly, I, I, I expected to see some nerves I expected to see him look like a rookie, like a deer in headlights. But the biggest kind of prevailing theme from that was the, how comfortable he looked. He wasn't perfect by any means, but how pump- comfortable he looked in the pocket. He, I mean, he looked like the same Deshaun Watson that was at Clemson. Yeah, it was absolutely amazing. I didn't really know what to expect coming into the game. Um, I thought maybe you'd see some jitters, but he just looked. He was that same calm, poised Deshaun Watson that you're used to seeing. Like when he came in here as a freshman, I don't know why we would have expected otherwise. Yes, the NFL is a big step up, but he looked amazing out there, and it's only a matter of time before he's the Texans starting quarterback, and it may be even for game one of the season. Could be. Uh, I, I, I tend to think with Tom Savage, he's getting all those first-team reps. I think they're doing Deshaun a favor by naming him the starter, Tom Savage, that is, because I think in a way, Deshaun's coming off of this prolific college career um, everyone remembers what happened in the national championship game. And in a way, it, it makes everyone excited to see if he's the next big thing. But uh, by kind of postponing that, allowing Savage to start a year or half a year, however long it'll be, it gives Deshaun, he gets to kind of fly under the radar. And if, if it's next year where he takes over the mantle, then people are going to forget it. He's going to be far enough removed from that you know, historical career, college career. And uh, I think that does a lot to, to kind of lower the expectations and, and get him out of that spotlight. Well, I'll tell you this, and and Tom Savage did not look bad in his own right, but clearly Deshaun Watson has the higher ceiling. It's not going to be next year. I think it's going to be early in the season that you're going to see Deshaun get in there. Um, He just, he looked the part. Now, granted, it's the first preseason game. Those defenses that he was driving down the field against were probably worse than the Alabama defense from last year. Those are third string guys, probably fourth string as he played late into the, uh, into the third quarter. And I think he even played some in the fourth. Um, there's guys that he went up against that aren't even going to make an NFL roster this year. So it comes with that caveat, but man, he looked good. He looked the part and it was really exciting to see. Yeah. I mean, starting with like the poise, but I I think he'll be someone interested, uh, interesting to follow, uh, his whole career, even if you're not a Clemson fan, just because he is so, he's, he's kind of like must, must watch television. And maybe we lost sight of that uh, as Clemson fans during the year when, we were, you know, chasing the national championship, kind of his entertainment value, but he's so exciting. He's like a, I don't want to say a jack of all trades, but when he's, when he's at quarterback, he'll, he'll do things with his arm. He'll be reactive. He'll do things with his legs when he needs to, he'll make throws on the run. Uh, just, he's a guy, when you hear him in interviews, he doesn't always sound like he's the most com- uh, confident or comfortable person. And he's probably like that socially as well. But man, when he is at quarterback, that's just where he was born to be. He looks, he's completely in his element and uh, just a, a fun quarterback to watch, even if you're not a Clemson fan. I mean, that touchdown run that he had, I mean, that's classic Deshaun Watson. Uh, I mean, 
and you you could tell it was going to happen. Clemson fans knew watching that that he was going to get into the end zone, and you were at a bar watching it. I was at home, and both of us like put out a yell, like let out a yell when that happened when he scored. Yeah, and there were a lot of people at that bar, you know, in uh, West Coast time, like five o'clock in the afternoon. But with the te- Texans versus the Panthers, not a lot of interest right. out here. Uh, yeah, so that was really exciting to see. I think I think the Texans uh, have a lot of Clemson fans now. A lot of Clemson fans have become Texans fans, I guess I'd say. I mean, I don't really have a strong NFL team. Growing up in Charleston, the closest team was the Falcons. They weren't really that good. The Panthers came on later, but I still kind of had lukewarm interest in them. Moved out here to uh, San Francisco. I have no interest in becoming a 49ers fan or Raiders. They're leaving to Vegas. But now I've got a team, you know, a team that not only has Watkins, but they got Nuke, they got DJ Reader, they got Carlos Watkins. Right, and they have Marcus Kukris as well. Um, Do they? Right, and their GM is a former Clemson grad. So that's true. I mean, no, I'm I, I'm looking at NFL Sunday Ticket, which I'm, I'm surprised at how much it costs. But if anyone wants to split that with me, you know, let me know. I, I don't know how the streaming services work, but that is definitely my team. And I'm I'm with you. I I, I did like the Panthers a little growing up, but you know, we're living in Greenville. But I I really think I can get behind the Texans, especially if if Deshaun is starting. And now let's not fail to mention, speaking of the Panthers, Ben Boulware. Um, I think we all expect that he's going to make that team. But how great was it to see? I mean, you mentioned Gilchrist, so that puts one, two, three, four, five, six former Clemson players in that game. That, that's awesome to see. I mean, and you're really starting to see this throughout the league. Clemson players are making a name for themselves. And, you know, it's natural we were going to see this, as good as Clemson has been recruiting and as good as uh, they've been as a football team, as a program. But pretty awesome to see so many Clemson players sprinkled around the NFL. Yeah, and I think like when you talk about guys like Ben Bowler, Carlos Watkins, and Deshaun Watson, they played together, and, and DJ Reader too. They played together for so long on, and the, with the stakes being so high um, at Clemson, that I mean, I, I think that kind of binds them together for a long time, which is it, it's really cool. They, they, you know, they obviously make the make it a point to, to go take pictures, you know, and I, I think that's uh, it's really cool. Yeah, and then one other thing that I'll say, uh, if, if you guys haven't realized it yet and you're planning on going to the Louisville game, I'm going. I'm flying into Cincinnati on Thursday because Cincinnati is one hour drive away from Louisville and the Texans are playing at the Bengals that Thursday night prior to the game. So if you haven't thought about that yet, maybe take an extra day off work or two, go to that game. Possibly go see Deshaun Watson play. You're definitely going to see Nuke play. You're going to see Watkins and Reeder probably playing Gilchrist. So when, is that like week four of the NFL? I think it's like week two of the NFL season. Oh, uh, hopefully Deshaun. I don't know if he's going to – I think you're going to see a lot of Tom Savage. But you're right. There's other guys. I'm saying you saw what he did in the first game. He's got, I think they got the Patriots coming up next. That'll be a tough defense, see what they can do against them. Uh, Deshaun could be there. But my flight's book. I'm going to Cincy. And either way, you're going to see some Clemson guys. But in the off chance that Deshaun Watson does get in there, that's going to be awesome to see him play. Uh, in an NFL game. Um, and, you know, worst comes to worst, still going to go to Louisville, going to do the Bourbon Trail, going to do Churchill Downs, and going to see Clemson beat Louisville, hopefully. Okay, let's talk fall camp. <laughs> Cody, scrimmage was today. Uh, we've read all the articles, seen all the headlines. Not a lot of interesting stuff coming out today, other than the fact that the defense seemed to dominate the offense, but it's kind of what we expect at this point. Yeah, it is. I mean, I think well, if you you have to take everything with a grain of salt. Obviously, you have to, have to take what the coaches say with a grain of salt. You, you have to take results from uh, an offense versus defense. Guys that have been 
you know, playing against one another for, you know, what, three or four weeks now and, and you know, well beyond, well before that. Um, you can only take it, take so much uh, from that. But I think the best we could have asked for is to see Kelly Bryant look confident for the offense to find some type of rhythm. Granted, not easy with our defense. It's one, it's one of the best defenses in the country, uh, certainly one of the best defensive fronts. Uh, but I think that's not necessarily a good sign that you didn't see a little bit more consistency and rhythm. Um, that, that, I mean, that, I guess when you hear consistency and rhythm, it, to me that, that just sounds like uh, flatness. And it goes to playmaking at the quarterback position when I hear that. And, and again, that, that starts with Kelly Bryant, but it also we're talking about Hunter Johnson and Zarek Cooper as well. Well, and I think I think we actually heard this last year. I, if I'm correct, I think the defense had a slight edge at this point after the scrimmage in fall camp last year. I think it takes longer for an offense to get up to speed, especially when you're breaking in a new quarterback, you're breaking in you know a new starting running back and some wide receivers. So I'm not at all uh, shocked to see this. I still think for me the encouraging sign is is it really seems like Kelly Bryant has taken solidly taken hold of the quarterback job, and it's because. He's been consistent throwing the ball in practice. That's been really good to hear. Yeah, that's at this time last week, uh, at least from what we've read, it, it seemed like a two-horse race. Now Kelly Bryant has distanced himself, which is surprising. I, I didn't necessarily think that would happen because, like you said, he's, he's doing it with his arm. And I don't know. We just have to see if that confidence will shine through on game day. But he has not – you know, we have nothing to base that off of uh, this to this point in his college career. Right? We haven't seen much of anything, but – kind of that run pass option and him doing a bunch of you know, quarterback sneaks. Well, and that's the thing. We know he's going to be electric with his legs. Uh, the, the question all along has been, can he be an accurate passer? So it's good to hear that that accuracy has improved much here in the fall. As we mentioned before, it's hard to judge off the spring game because he had that finger injury. Uh, so he didn't look that great passing the ball. There was other quarterbacks who did look a lot better. Um, but just hearing what we are hearing – and I know part of this is, is probably coach speak. They know that at this point that he's going to be the number one guy going into the season, so they need to start building up his confidence. But this is a guy that also builds up his own confidence. He finds that himself, and that's also good to hear. He's taking on the role as being the leader of the offense, and he has the mentality. He has the intangibles as far as scrambling ability and just natural speed goes. If he can put that all together with a command of the offense in an, in an accurate passing game, this is going to be a good offense this year. Larry Williams of Tiger Illustrated, he, and I got to give him credit for this because it's a good point. It's when you, whenever you're tasked with being the front, the number one guy, versus you know falling in the in the background with as the number two or number three uh, quarterback, as as Kelly Bryant was last year, it it's it just it's another uh, it's a different type of responsibility. You 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 have no nothing to fall back on. So it, it sometimes it'll bring out the best in in some, and it maybe maybe will bring out the worst in others. But it seems like with the way he's taken on the leadership, it's bringing out the best in him, and it's made him elevate his game. Uh, whether that translates to game day or not, uh, we'll, we'll see. But it, so far, he's got, like you said, he's got the he's got the makeup, and I think it matters. It's not the same as like an NFL where that's like the face of the franchise. But there is a, a similar uh, element there in, in college as well. Yeah, and I never know what we really want, what's best to hear. Like, what do we really want to hear? Do we want to hear that he's separating, or do we want to hear this is a entrenched, like, battle between three guys uh, that all have an equal shot at getting the job, and it's because they're just all so good? Or if it's just unknown, like nobody's really standing out. There's the fear of that. We saw that with Auburn last year. 
Um, so I never really know what to think. You know, we hear Kelly Bryant's doing great. Is that because the other two guys just aren't playing as well as they could be? Who knows? Uh, but again, the confidence part of it, the command of the offense, that's the exciting thing to hear. Yeah, and maybe we can move on to another headline from the spring game. Uh, and no, no surprise, the defensive line, uh, the defensive ends in particular, are are dominant. But we kind of know what we're getting from from Cleveland Farrell. We he was really good last year. Uh, we expect him probably to take a step forward. He's in his third year now, man. The NFL is calling, and I think, and he's he's the kind of guy he's just got a tremendous work ethic. So it's the it's this third year culmination of a lot of things. He's I expect him to look like a stud. Not to mention playing next to the Dexter Lawrence, who's going to eat up his blockers. Uh, Cleveland Farrell is going to get a lot of one on ones, and he's going to he's going to look good. Uh, maybe not a surprise, but what we were hoping to see from Austin Bryant, uh, he looks like he is uh, on, on a very similar level uh, there at the strong side defensive end position. Because if you look back to his freshman year, uh, Orange Bowl stepping in against Oklahoma when Shaq Lawson went down, man, he was very impressive. Just he he, he didn't look like a freshman and. What we saw from him last year, he was a capable player, but I could man, he just did not have the step. He didn't have. He was still fighting off that injury. I mean, he was absolutely. coming back from injury. He wasn't conditioned coming back late in the season. And he said as much. You know, he said I, I was not 100, percent but this is the best I felt. Uh, you know, three years of conditioning now and a full off season of health. That that is from top to bottom, one to four. That is one hell of a defensive line. Well, and you know, we keep saying that, but I want to take a step back here. Um, and, and really look at what we do have on this defensive line. I mean, let's make no mistake about it. We're reloading this year. We have a lot of capable, talented guys, but you keep hearing from Brent Venables question the depth and being worried about the depth. You look at who we lost to the draft or through transfers last year between Carlos Watkins, Scott Pagano, Samuel Davis. Now, obviously losing Carlos Watkins, you know, somebody stepping in uh, to take his shoes. Luckily, we do have... Christian Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence. Scott Pagano being gone, I think it's going to be huge, and we'll get to that in a moment. Samuel Davis, maybe not so much, but that's still guys with experience and depth. You also got injuries to guys like Richard Jurgen, who's going to be out for the year. Logan Rudolph, who they expected to play some this year. He's got a shoulder injury. They're saying that he's going to have surgery after the season, but you don't really know how that's going to limit him. Austin Bryant, he's shown to be injury-prone throughout his career, not, the, not only the injury he had last year, but also coming out of high school. So is he going to be able to stay healthy all year? Then you have the unproven guys. Chris Register, Albert Huggins, Niles Pickney, Jabril Robinson, Xavier Kelly. What Do we know what we're going to get out of those guys? Not necessarily. They have high ceilings, but what are we going to get? And you got the freshmen, Jordan Williams, Justin Foster. Jordan Williams kind of going in between defensive end and defensive tackle. Everybody expects him to play this year, but what are we going to get out of him? Same thing with Justin Foster. He's transitioning from linebacker in high school to a new position on, uh, as a defensive end in college. So what are we going to see? We don't really know. Not to mention, Marion Hobby and Dan Brooks are gone. Those are big sh- shoes to fill. So we actually lost a lot from this defensive line that, that we're not really talking about. And we're a couple injuries in the season away from maybe ha- you know being in a dire situation. Well, we, you're, we have had really good injury luck uh, the last two years, knock on wood. Uh, let me, because I'm, I'm normally the more cynical one of, of the two of us, let me be a little bit more optimistic with the guy, the next guys up. Um, for one, like Chris Register, you like, he is a bit of an unknown, but I, I would say he's, he's kind of a known commodity. He's just, he's just a kind of a lower ceiling player. Uh, and I think you, I don't want to say the same about Richard Jurgen because I think he did offer a little bit more upside, 
But I, I mean, not he's not the same guy as Cleveland Farrell. Uh, I don't he doesn't have the same upside as uh, Xavier Kelly. So maybe to paint it with a, a little bit of positivity, um, look at Niles Pinkney and, and compare him to Scott Pagano. Um, now, not going to be as reliable. He's not going to know the defense as well. He's not going to know all of his assignments quite as well. But I think he he really does look like a quantum Grady Jerry. He really does have a tremendous amount of upside. I can say the same about Albert Huggins. So maybe they take their lumps early on, but I think they offer uh, ultimately a higher higher potential, higher ceiling than than guys like Scott Pagano, Chris Register, right, and, but, and Richard Yergin. But let's say one of the defensive ends goes down and Christian Wilkins has to move back out to defensive end. You'd feel a lot better if Scott Pagano was coming in there to step into the starting role than you are right now about Albert Huggins or Niles Pickney. Uh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And, and it, it really, it, it, the way Wilkins is going to potentially move out to when you talk about one, you're really talking about the other in terms of depth because you take him away from defensive tackle and then you have issues there as well. I, again, I like, Scott Pagano was not, he, he's a tremendous player. He'll probably be in the NFL someday, but I really like Niles Pinkney. I like his upside, he, the reports from camp. Uh, and back to dating back to his freshman year as he looks like Grady Jarrett. And I, as you look at his film, I don't think that's hyperbole. I really think he's he's got that build. He is he can he can get low and just stand offensive lineman up. I, I think he has a, a really high upside. And same with Albert Huggins. This is his chance now. No one's you know no one's waiting uh, or is in front of him to keep him protected. He's gonna he's gonna be out there. Well, and so that's the thing. I mean, it's not a question of talented guys and bodies. I mean, we have them. You mentioned Huggins and, and, and Pinkney. You also have Xavier Kelly out at defensive end, who we do expect a lot of. But he hasn't played a snap of college football yet. So what do we – What we don't know what we're going to get out of him at this point. you got guys like Jordan Williams and Justin Foster. We expect Jordan Williams to get some playing time this year. He could switch between defensive tackle and defensive end, depending on the situation. Um, and then Justin Foster, you know, this is a guy that Scott Pollard says has some of the best hands he's ever seen out of a defensive end. And this is a guy that's just now learning the position. But can they be uh, meaningful contributors this year? They're true freshmen. It's hard to say. Right. I oh, oh, will say Justin Foster, hearing that, you know, the reviews from him as a defensive end and playing outside linebacker in high school, that is, that is really good to hear. It's really encouraging. You're right. Are they going to be ready? And, and Tiger Illustrated, uh, guys like Larry Williams and, and Paul Strilo write about this all the time, about the de- defensive end position requires a lot more uh, nuance, a lot more study, because a lot more things are coming at, at you in these modern offenses, more eye candy, misdirection, uh, you know, run pass option type stuff. So uh, it's not just see quarterback, get quarterback. There's a lot more to it. And will they be ready? I don't know. But uh Assuming we have relatively good injury luck, then I, I think they can they can be very serviceable, very useful uh, in, in uh, certain situations. And I don't want to gloss over this because the fact still remains that Christian Wilkins moving out to defensive end uh, and getting some reps there during last spring, we know how valuable that turned out to be last year. It still remains a, a very valuable commodity because we have more of a known, there's less of a drop-off if Albert Huggins or Niles Pinckney need to move into a starting defensive tackle role uh, than if Xavier Kelly or Chris Register need to move into a starting DE role. Christian Wilkins can cover that. Yeah, it, it's helpful. I will say, going back one to four, the defensive line looks good. Uh, the drop-off um, from maybe a Niles Pinckney is Xavier Kelly, Albert Huggins... Is still unknown. I think you could say that that applies across the board. 
we don't know what we're getting, but we do know from one to four, assuming good injury luck, then we have the best maybe one to four uh, defensive line in the country. Again, we keep talking about how good this line's going to be. Um, they could be one of the best in the country. Is there one guy on this defensive line that if there was a season-ending in injury would just be detrimental to, to the defense? Good question. Um, it's not necessarily, but here, here's the thing. One injury, uh, we can make do. I mean, I, I think Dexter Lawrence, just because he offers something no one else, hardly anyone else in the country offers, but one injury, we're fine. Two injuries, especially more, even doesn't have to be a season-ending season ending injury, but something that's more sustained, that's an issue. So that that's that two injuries to starters, which could very well happen, that, that could be an issue. Well, how about just one to Christian Wilkins? I mean, his versatility and what he provides, and not to mention just his, his personality and attitude and what it means to the team. He's certainly your MVP. What he gives you in terms of the intangibles is is well documented and yeah i would he would probably be my my number one guy and probably the number one guy on the team that's not a quarterback so let's move on from the defensive line cody let's talk about you know other things that we've noticed uh, uh just from fall practice other talking points from the scrimmage we talked in our offensive preview about deandre overton and he's kind of been an under the radar guy so far but he's got that big body six five he's up to almost 210 pounds this year he could be really be that downfield threat that replaces it. You know, he's get reps behind Deion Kane, uh, but he could be a matchup nightmare for opposing cornerbacks just because of how big he is. We've heard a lot of good things about him so far. They said he had an impressive day uh, in the scrimmage. He made some, you know, several big catches in the red zone, and both Tony Elliott uh, and Kelly Bryant had a lot of good things to say about him uh, coming out of the, the scrimmage today. So. What does he mean to this offense if he's able to really step up and perform? I think I, I really don't uh, – I, I think these big body receivers are extremely important. T. Higgins being the other. Also at the nine, I, I look to see if you can't get both of those guys on the field, not just for this year but for going forward. Uh, see if you can maybe move uh, Overton in at the slot. But I think – I was watching the national championship game again on ESPNU like the sixth time – uh, that I've seen it uh, since the, since January, and I, I saw Mike Williams and the things he was doing against those five ten five eleven DBs for Alabama, and it's just it's it's unstoppable. Deshaun Watson was just throwing it up and he was coming down with it. Overton and T Higgins both offer that very same skill set for a guy like Kelly Bryant who may not be quite as as confident. He doesn't have he certainly doesn't have the pinpoint accuracy. You could probably say the same for Cooper or Hunter Johnson. To be able to just throw it up and, and know that your guy's going to at least have a good chance of winning that jump ball, I think both of those guys give uh, Clemson's wide receiver core just a completely different look over not just this season, but the next couple of seasons. And Overton gives the team that ability that we don't necessarily have, or at least we haven't necessarily seen from Deion Kane. Deion Kane has the speed down, man. He's going to beat some defenders, and uh, they're going to be able to go over the top to him if Kelly Bryant can get the ball there. But with Overton... If if he can continue to improve and be that guy that you can throw a fade into the back of the end zone and he can go up like they said, get ninety percent of those 50-50 balls. That's going to be a that's going to be huge for this team and especially Kelly Bryant, like you mentioned, who doesn't necessarily have the best accuracy. Right, right. And you mentioned like going to the back of the end zone. When Mike Williams came into Clemson, he was I think about the same size as Overton, about one ninety, you know, six three. But he gained a lot of weight. You look at you look at what he was, the finished product. Uh, you know, two fifteen. You know, just built. 
And he used a lot of that strength to create separation with those DBs at the line of scrimmage to not get jammed. That was the issue with Overton going in. Um, as it relates to Overton and T. Higgins, well, T. Higgins is kind of the skinny guy, but uh, I think both of them have shown like at least a you know a, they're they're being they're being strong at the line of scrimmage. And I think with T. Higgins, he's going to do some things that's just going to steal your heart from an athletic stamp standpoint. He's going to do some Sammy Watkins things in terms of like going up vertically. But between him and him and uh, Overton, now that's that's such an asset that we never we have not had that uh, at Clemson. Even even when you go back to Sammy Watkins, New Hopkins, and, and Mark Tavis Bryant, that did not exist. Like these six four big body receivers. And this uh, you know this position battle uh, is a lot different than the quarterback job. Like we want one guy to step up and take control of the quarterback job. A wide receiver, it's very valuable to have such great depth of guys. You're gonna you know you can run out there on the field. Uh, there was a lot of talk this week about, uh, you know, like Jeff Scott and Tony Elliott's, uh, their philosophy about getting a lot of wide receivers out there during the game uh, and getting a lot of reps because opposing defenses usually have one or two cornerbacks that you're running out there and they're playing most, if not all, of the game. If you keep running out all these fresh wide receivers that have superior talent, like you're going to wear down those cornerbacks and really be able to start dominating and moving the ball down the field. Yeah, I mean, it does It does take the right quarterback to make those back shoulder throws that were so important uh, for Deshaun and Mike Williams last year. But, you know, I, I think you have the ultimate advantage, and I think you will see T. Higgins sooner than later. So it it's really comes down to Tony Elliott. Put, is he going to be able to put them in a position? And the more that I've looked at film from last year, I think the more confident I've become in Tony Elliott. You said something on the show last week about – Maybe maybe potentially playing at a slower pace at least in certain uh, in certain times so that Tony Elliott c- can get the play call in and you can compare that to basketball where the uh, out of bounds you know t- out of the timeout play you can really gauge a coach in a way sometimes when he's had a little bit of time to, to formulate his play well Tony Elliott when he has a chance to script stuff coming in and when he has a chance to get the get the play call in he normally hits on the right play call and and gets uh, and gets the guy gets his playmaker in the right position so. As it relates to T. Higgins and, and DeAndre Overton, I think I think it bodes well. Maybe maybe we play with a little. Um, we don't play with as many snaps, as much pace because of that. I don't know. Well, I, I I really think that this is a key thing for everybody to look at. If the nine position behind Deion King can really step up and perform this year, I I think that you're going to see a different dynamic to this offense uh that otherwise it wouldn't have especially with a new quarterback in kelly bryant i think this is a very key position we know we're going to get out of deon kane but with overton and higgins if they can step up uh and pro- provide valuable depth there i think this it opens up some other things for this offense that maybe we wouldn't have normally with a new quarterback i agree it can it can make those growing pains a lot less uh significant so let's flip to another position on the offense uh, that we're trying to you know, fill a void this year. Uh, that's the running back position, obviously, Wayne Gallman going on to the NFL. Uh, C.J. Fuller coming in as the starter this year. You got Adam Choice and then um, Tavian Feaster after that. Then you got Travis Etienne, who was a three-star guy uh, under the radar that we got in on late from uh, on last year, stole him, pulled him out of uh, LSU. And he's a guy that coming in that we really this year did not expect him to get a lot of playing time, probably going to redshirt, just he needs to become a more uh, refined, polished running back. 
We're hearing a lot of good things coming out of camp and in the scrimmage today. You see a world where he starts climbing up the depth chart, maybe replacing Choice and get some playing time this year? I don't know that he's going to climb up the depth chart and get meaningful reps, at least not early on. But I think if he can burn his or not not be redshirted, which is what everyone anticipated coming in, I think that's saying a lot. And I don't think it's not necessarily saying it's not an indictment on the three running backs that are currently in the fold. I think it's it's really just it, it speaks favorably to how well he's looked so far. And everyone coming in, everyone was saying this guy is like Wayne Gallman. He's our bruiser. And I don't know what Clemson over the last 10 years, for one reason or the other, their fan, our fans want to talk about a thunder and lightning combo. Like one guy's got to be thunder, one guy's got to be lightning. Well, let me tell you, Eddie and, and this relates to Eddie and then Feaster. Eddie is a burner. He, he's got Wayne Gallman type size. Uh, the one knock on him is he's not really filled out. He hasn't, I guess had the chance to hit the weights uh, like some other high school programs. They'll have a little bit uh, better uh, strength and conditioning programs. So that's like maybe his one area. And, and obviously pass protection, that's always going to be an issue with the freshman running back. But you look at his tape, man. He's He has got a, a lot of just raw ability as running back. He's got the, the frame to put on weight. And he's got more speed than, than Gallman. So he, he can potentially be more of an open field runner, breakaway runner. Well, and I think he's starting to answer a lot of those open questions that everybody talked about him coming into this year. They did note his size, but they're also saying how, you know, what a tough runner that he is. And then also his speed, as you mentioned, you know, he busted uh, for a 30 plus yard uh, touchdown today in the scrimmage. So I think the coaches are really high on him and they're looking up. He may, he may crack the depth chart this year and get on the field. I would, I mean, that, that would just speak volumes to, (laughs) Um, that that commitment and, and and getting him late in the process because you know I don't want to speak too much about recruiting down the road but it's not looking so sunny right now for 2008 in the 18 class so um, you have him and 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 just assume that Feaster is going to come on if not this year then very soon then that's that does create at least a nice little one two combo and not thunder and lightning but just two damn really good running backs yeah and I think certainly that he he was a diamond in the rough. Um, at least it's turning out to be that way so far. We'll see what happens. But you're right, that could be a good remedy for kind of possibly striking out in the 2018 recruiting cycle at the running back position. Exactly. We, we don't have to hit a home run like Samir White. We can maybe look to 2019. So any other storylines uh, from fall camp that you're interested in? Maybe the last one would be the offensive line. Nothing, you know, nothing groundbreaking here. But Tremaine Ancrum, you know, he talk about speaking of diamond into the rough, like he was a three star that was able to make an impact as a true freshman. That's unheard of as an offensive lineman, especially going in. You expected him to be a more of a developmental prospect. Um, well, he's pushing Pollard at right tackle. He's getting some of Mitch Hyatt's snaps at left tackle um, because of because of injury. And I mean, that's that goes to show that man, that is just one heck of a player and a, a nice tackle combination. And I think the other one's John Simpson's pushing Crowder there. Uh, really, Crowder, he's, he's looking at both guard positions. He's going to push Hearn and Crowder. If there's any drop-off, you have a very talented guy uh, just waiting in the wings. Well, that's kind of the interesting part to me. You know, we all thought when we were hearing early on that John Simpson was possibly going to be pushing uh, uh, Taylor Hearn, but to hear that he's going to be pushing Crowder, a guy who could have gone pretty high in the NFL draft last year had he, uh, uh, you know, left, that's, you know, it's not a bad problem to have. In, in fairness to Crowder, he he has been injured, so that's p- part of the reason. But let's let's give all credit to John Simpson. This is this is a after Hyatt. I think Tiger Illustrated said this. 
he's the next kind of NFL guy. Uh, that's at least the way he projects in terms of his frame, his athleticism. So he's going to be pushing Hearn and Crowder. He's going to get a ton of snaps. Uh, I, I, I think that's really good in case of injury. We talk about injury and in-depth uh, on the defensive line. Well, offensive line, we're looking good because of guys like Ankrum and John Simpson. Yeah, and let's compare that. I mean, make no mistake, mistake about it. We knew what we were getting in John Simpson. Like, that was a huge pickup in recruiting, and we know that that's going to pay dividends. Uh, going back to Tremaine Ankrum, you mentioned how he was kind of an under-the-radar guy. You know, you we, you get to thinking about it, and we talk about all these under-the-radar guys that, that Clemson gets, Etienne, Tremaine, Ankrum, and how they turn around and become more polished players and huge contributors to a very successful football team. Does stuff like that happen in Alabama? Do they bring in these three-star guys and develop them? Because it seems like it happens an awfully lot uh, at Clemson. Well, the, that's, a, that's a very loaded question. So Alabama doesn't have to even dabble in three-stars, and I know people always cite Grady Jarrett and a bunch of others, but... They just don't have to. You're, you're more likely to have a better product as a four-star or a five-star, so that's what they do. But I, I will say I think it's a, it's, it's a sign of poor recruiting coverage, and it just increasingly becomes worse uh, for several reasons. But it, it also does speak to Clemson's ability to evaluate. Um, it, they don't look at star ratings. When they, whenever they find a guy that's a three-star, they know he's a four-star. Eddian falls into that category. Um, Ankrum falls in that category. They, they could care less. They know what they have, or at least, you know, I don't think they really knew what they had with Eddie and, and Ankrum. They didn't know they would come on so soon, but they knew they had good players. Uh, they, they didn't care that they were three-star. Right, and again, I think this just speaks volumes to the level of recruiting this coaching staff and why we trust them so much uh, when we sign some of these three-stars or offer some of these three-stars. Right, right, and yeah, it's... It, I'm sorry, we don't need to go too, too much on and on about this, but it's also relationships with coaches. Ankrum's from Georgia. Um, you know, there's a lot of other guys that may be from North Carolina. There's, there's relationships with high school coaches. They're asking questions. One, you know, what's this guy like? Does he, does he like school? Does he love football? Does he, does he hit the weights hard? Does he, you know, put in, does he watch film review? You know, things like that. So two guys, you know, all things held even. One guy that's working his butt off and has that work ethic the coaches know that, and oftentimes it's you know it's it's a lot of different reasons. You put that, combine that with player development, combine that with improved strength and conditioning, a new a nutrition program, all these different things. And hey, wow, you know, two years later, a guy is really panning out. Whereas ten years ago, we was we were not seeing the same type of player development um, during the Tommy Bowden era. Well, on bottom line, this is just a very well-rounded uh, Clemson football program. It's not about bringing in the, the top guys in the country every single year, and then, bam, you've got a great football team. Um, all aspects of this program are hitting on high cylinders right now, and you've seen the results on the field. Okay, so that about wraps it up for fall camp. Again, not a lot of stuff, uh, interesting stuff coming out of the scrimmage today. Um, and even for the first couple weeks in fall camp, you're just kind of hearing boilerplate information from the coaches. They're not trying to tear anybody down too much and kind of pumping everybody up. We'll see what happens leading into these last couple of weeks before the start of the season. That's when you're going to start seeing guys move around on the depth chart and guys take a hold of a starting position. So it'll be interesting to see, and we'll stay on top of it. So now let's take a step back and look at the broader picture. Clemson is now a legit powerhouse football program in college football, so I really want to talk about what that means. Uh, Tiger Illustrated had a very interesting stat for me this past week, uh, showing that Clemson was 20-3 and three in games decided by eight points or less since 2011. And 
the quantity, the quantity of those gains were kind of uh, surprising to me. Uh, I just think of Clemson as being this dominant program over the last several years. But I get to thinking, and Clemson really hasn't been in this position. They've been on the opposite side. Clemson has a target on their back now. When schedules come out for every team uh, in the conference or in college football, if they have Clemson on the schedule, they're circling that date when they're playing Clemson. And they're going to step up, and they're generally going to have their best games. The same way that Clemson used to have, you know, step up and play great games against whatever outer conference opponent they had from the SEC, uh, but then also teams like Florida State. Um, you know, even in the last two years where we've made these national championship run runs, you've seen close games against uh, Troy, Pitt, lost to Pitt. NC State has been close the last two years. Auburn last year, I know everybody says Auburn, yeah, they're a powerhouse football program, but they were 8-5 and five last year. They weren't a great football team. Um, the South Carolina game two years ago was a five-point game, and you know we've been close at halftime with BC and Syracuse a couple years ago. So even as dominant as Clemson has been and the superior talent level that they've had, they still struggled and had some close games just because they do have that target. Teams are be giving Clemson their best shot, and you combine that with the fact that the ACC is a lot better than it has been over the last couple years. That easy ACC schedule, easy regular season schedule outside of a couple games is getting much harder, and that's going to make it harder for Clemson to get back to the college football playoff year in and year out. Yeah, Dabo has been talking about the ACC uh, since, I don't know, what, 2013? And a lot of that I thought was just blowing smoke. I, I, I did not think it to that, during that time that the ACC was as good as he said it was. But I think it's, you know, I've fallen victim to the, the SEC, you know, like – SEC is the best. Their brand is the best, you know. And the ACC is their bottom dwellers. I, I think there is a lot more merit. There was a lot more merit in 2016 than I even realized in the moment. And you start to look back in hindsight, and yeah, from top to bottom, uh, the ACC does have really good teams. NC State was good. Um, you know, you go down. Uh, obviously, Lamar Jackson and Louisville was good. like we had a really, really a gauntlet of a schedule. And now, I think now we're fully realizing, you know, there was a reason, A, like you said, we are getting team's best shot. We just came off a national championship appearance. Uh, and, and, and B, I mean, these are, these are good teams. Uh, they are game in, game out. We were playing really good teams. And it's really, really stinking tough to stay, that, to stay focused and play at that level week in and week out. And you could compare it to the SEC of, of yesteryear. Right, that gauntlet that those teams always had to go through, and they wore each, each other down throughout the year. You don't see that anymore in the SEC. I mean, the SEC East is a glorified pillow fight, and to go a step <laughs> further, you with goose down pillows and a thousand thread count linens. Like, it's, it's borderline adorable what goes on over there. <laughs> so the ACC has really taken a step up. I mean, let me read these off to you. I mean, you look at what happened last year. Um, the ACC had a combined 16-6 and record versus the SEC in the Big Ten in 2016. Um, since 2014, the ACC is 19 and 13 versus SEC teams. You know, the quarterback play has gotten better. You've seen what the, the, the ACC has been able to go and do and pull quarterbacks out of the SEC's backyard. You get Jameis Winston coming out of Birmingham. You got Deshaun Watson coming out of Gainesville. Lamar Jackson out of Florida, you know, uh, Florida Gators stomping grounds. And the same thing with DeAndre Francois out of Orlando. So that's been part of the reason. Um, the poor quarterback play in the SEC. The other is the coaching. I mean, you look at the hires. I mean, you got Mark Rick coming from the SEC. You got Dino Babers. Uh, Virginia's got Bronco Mendenhall. Virginia Tech, uh, Justin Fuente. I mean, the coaching hires have been there, while the SEC, not so much. I mean, they're pulling guys from the, the Nick Saban lineage, but that hasn't really been panning out. 
you know, I, we were we were throwing some jabs at the SEC, and I, I will. I, let's. They're not. You know, it's not a pillow fight. They're th- those are good teams. The East is a pillow fight. They're not as good as they once were, and I, and the teams like Tennessee and even South Carolina, certainly Florida, get probably more credit than they deserve. But uh, it, you know, at least generally speaking, but those are good teams, and you know, and I think week in week out, there is there. I think the problem is like the brand. We we we're all guilty of this. The you know the Yankees pinstripes. Uh, we we can't properly like we don't get scared by NC State, but if we were playing the Florida Gators, we would be we get a little scared. Um, although those could be the same two teams, really. Uh, I was just gonna say, you know, you talk about the coaching. Absolutely, is the coaching. We uh, ACC's done a tremendous job of of making coaching hires. But there's there's a second part that we can't even we don't even have the time and the day to discuss this or to get into the depths of this. But it's the the pressure and expectations of being an SEC coach because. The pressure and expectations that an SEC fan base uh, bestows upon their coach that are oftentimes unrealistic, and I mean the the boosters, the things that goes on that go on, the things we've heard about at Ole Miss, uh, you know, that you know, God knows they were just blatantly cheating. Um, it, it's a it can be nasty, it can be really icky. I'm not saying it doesn't happen in the ACC too. I'm sure it does. That's just a different world uh, when you have a little bit of the ickiness that goes on behind the scenes and the with the boosters. But also, there's a gun to your head as a coach because expectations are out the roof. And uh, I think that just adds a little bit of dysfunction when you contrast that with the ACC. Um, expectations are a little bit more tempered. And I think coaches have a little bit more time to develop a program, get recruits in. And uh, anyway, that's just my kind of thought on that. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the SEC fan base is impatient. I mean, you look to the ACC the only two teams that you could really pick out that are are not going to have that patience is Clemson and Florida State. But otherwise, you don't have a lot of historical uh, college football powerhouses in the ACC. You have Miami now, but even their fan base doesn't really get behind it as much when they're losing. They seem like they could care less. They're really apathetic. Um, so you do have more time to really build a program. And we mentioned the coaches that the, uh, the ACC brought in last year, but you also throw in there Pat Narduzzi at Pitt, Bobby Petrino at Louisville, and Dave Clawson at Wake Forest. There's a lot of really good coaches in the ACC right now, and they're going to have an opportunity to build a program. Now, my question is, can that be sustained? If Dino Babers has three really good seasons at Syracuse, how long does he stay there? Does not some big-time SEC school, uh, Big Ten school, Big 12 school come in in there and and pull him out of Syracuse? Good question. I mean, it's kind of like the Bo Pelini uh, from Wisconsin to Arkansas, and like some people will consider that a step backwards. But that's just the nature of, of college football and the way things are trending. I think you're right. If, if he is as good as, as he potentially could be, someone's going to come calling. If it's SEC or if it's some higher-level job, it, it will happen. And uh, I, I tend to think that from you know, 1 to I don't even know, like one to 15, I think that's, there's 15 teams in the ACC now. 1 to 15, the excellence is there's no way we can— You're uh, including Notre Dame. Okay, yeah I, I, yeah. I don't mind doing that. They're the 15th team. And I think they probably will be at some point. So we'll just include them. From 1 to 15, the ACC will never uh, – I just can't see with all the, the things around it, it will never be as strong as what the SEC can I be. Don't, I don't think they'll have the sustained success just because you have these schools and these fan bases that really don't care that much in general about college football. You know, North Carolina's fans, they have, North Carolina has good teams. They're making ACC championship game runs, but their fan base doesn't seem to care that much. The same thing we mentioned Miami – I think Syracuse's fan base does, but that's just not a college football destination. Look, look at Virginia with Bronco Mendenhall. If he has success there, how long does he stay? 
Uh, Virginia Tech, I can see Justin Fuente staying there because they have fans who, who care about college football. Same thing with Petrino at Louisville and Narduzzi at Pitt. Um, but Dave Clawson is at Wake. How long does that last? You know, all this to say is that we don't, I don't think we see uh, an upcoming sustained run of just ACC dominance like we saw from the SEC. It's just not going to happen. I agree. And I, I don't, we can wave the conference flag, which I, at least Clemson fans have been so like turned off by it from US, from uh, Gamecock fans from the years waving the SEC flag. Like, we don't even want to do that. But it's good news. You're not going to have to because I don't see. Uh, Maybe you see the upper crust of the ACC remaining strong, Virginia Tech, Miami, maybe a small rise. Um, obviously, Florida State and Clemson are well positioned. They're gonna they're gonna keep making noise, but I just don't see it. I don't I don't I don't see NC State, you know, going in the right direction all of a sudden. I don't see Syracuse getting to where they want to be. Um, so uh, Virginia Tech, maybe um, maybe they get more, you know, they they remain in that upper crust. Ultimately, though, SEC is well positioned to with everything they have at their disposal. They're, they're going to get back to where they want to be, and maybe that's okay. It's like the Eastern Conference of the NBA. It's an easier path, and that's fine. It's not like they're not playing anyone. They're, you're still playing some really good teams, but it's just not the same. Well, you know, and, and Clemson got there. Clemson got there by there just being really two dominant football teams in the ACC, Clemson and Florida State, and they showed they could develop and play on the big stage with big-time SEC teams, Big Ten teams. So your conference, I don't think, necessarily has to be the best in the world for you to have an opportunity to go out there and win. Um, but is it, it is interesting that the outside of the SEC, the only two teams to win college football national championships the last few years, Clemson and Florida State. You have Ohio State one year, but Clemson and Florida State. And listen, the Big Ten Conference is not as good as it, it's built up to be. Yeah, and it was interesting on the Walt Deptula radio show when, when uh, Dabo came on. He looked at the film, and he saw Ohio State. He saw every Big Ten game. He said he literally watched every single one of their their games. And he went back to his team, and he's like, he's all giddy, and he's like, these guys are in trouble. Yeah, and I mean, sure enough, they were. Go back and listen to our episodes from last year talking about. I never thought the Big Ten was that good. Everybody's hyping Michigan and Ohio State. Um, Penn State won that conference, and no disrespect to Penn State. They were not that good of a football team. They were a decent football team. They're going to be better this year. I know that was a great game they had against Southern Cal, but when Penn State wins your conference, Penn State's not there yet. And that right. speaks a lot to the strength of the conference. Right. When you look at big, the Big Ten, it's almost like, and, and Ohio State excluded, and Michigan maybe in the foreseeable future will get there on a talent standpoint. Ohio State's there, but what it was last year was really well-coached teams, at least at the top. But when you look at it from an athletic standpoint, when you can combine – you know, Brent Venables coaching with those same athletes, like you're going to beat an Ohio state. You're going to, you're going to beat a, a Penn state. Um, you know, I, I think that's another conference. I, I, there's, there's becoming this, this line of the, you know, the, the haves and the have nots in college football and certainly Ohio state's in there. Michigan will be in there, but just like the lower crust of the ACC, the same will happen in the big 10. I can really see them really diminishing um, and you know, it's become like this arms race and all the powers going to the top kind of, uh, <laughs> but it's not going to be like the ACC at pass where there's one or two dominant teams. The ACC is not going to be the best conference year in and year out, but I think you are going to see a lot of improvement because we have brought in some more focused football schools in Louisville and Pittsburgh. Yeah. And I think it would behoove Notre Dame at this point to, to jump on, you know, get on board with this ACC ship because, it's it's tough recruiting uh, in Indiana. I mean, 
with those academic standards, it's going to help them. Uh, do it. And Notre Dame doesn't have the prestige that it used to. I mean, you're again, you're seeing a lot of the focus in college football move towards the South. You think a 17 year old knows who Rudy is or cares about what happened in the 1960s or 70s? Like they don't care. No, not these days, especially not millennials. Right. They are we, Deshaun Watson are, are we is. calling them millennials now or are they something else? No, no, they're the the iGen. I learned this recently, the iGen, like little i, like iPhone, iGen. iGeneration. Yeah, That makes a lot of sense. These these people are in college right now. Like These are 22-year-olds and below, I think. Yeah, I keep forgetting how old I am. Um, So all all this to say, we don't don't think the ACC is going to slip back to what it used to be. But it's again, I don't think it's going to be the best conference year in and year out. You're going to see some attrition just because some of these football coaches they have brought in namely Dino Babers, if he has success, or Bronco Mendenhall, they're going to get pulled away by bigger offers. That's just going to happen. But right now, right now, it's an upward trajectory for the ACC. And what that means for Clemson as we go into this season and as we go into the next few seasons is that conference schedule is going to look more like the gauntlet that the SEC had to go through several years ago is you're not just turning over cupcake after cupcake. When you play Duke or Wake Forest or Syracuse, they're not going to be the pushovers that they used to be. Right. I think that's part of it. And uh, it, what, what it was, too, in the, by, just in the early, I guess, the 2010-11 season, uh, and before that a little bit, the upper crust of the SEC, like the top few teams were all contending for a national championship. And that's, I don't want to say, it, it's similar to what you're seeing in the ACC with Florida State and Clemson. But uh, really, it's just quality team you're in, you're out, or not you're in, you're out, game in, game out. In the short term, though, when we're talking about this window, it's hard to look too far down the future to see how Clemson, how many more titles Clemson could potentially win. But uh, when, when you do see guys like Trevor Lawrence, Hunter Johnson in the fold, um, these great recruiting classes, we do have, yeah, you're right, we do have a very, um, you know, formidable formidable uh, ACC schedule that we're going to have to deal with, for and, sure. And what that does, if you make it through that, that really helps when you go to play the powerhouses from the other conferences when you get into the playoffs. You're more tested. I agree. No, I, I agree. And you mentioned, like, QB play as well. Like, it, it's crazy. The SEC, do, they do have great defenses. They did last year. But we made a joke about their offenses last year with, with Bama Dozer, Bulldozer. But how many and how many top twenty-five offenses did you go against? Like none. Like, well, let's look at let's talk about the defense. We talk yeah. about how good these SEC defenses are. Um, last year in Bill Connolly's uh, S and P rankings, eight of the top twenty-two defenses in the country came from the ACC. It's surprising. So, and the ACC has some more high-powered offenses than the SEC has. Re- read those off. Uh, Clemson was number six. Uh, Florida State was number 10. NC State was 11. They've got a great defensive line. Miami, number 13. Didn't see that coming. Virginia Tech at 17. 19, Louisville. Boston College, 21. Wake Forest, 22. It, it is, we do have to like mention, Louisville is losing everything on defense. Boston College and I think Wake's offense was abysmal. But no, you're right. They were, they were good defenses. Um, I, I think when you look at Virginia Tech, you look at Miami, um, NC State, like those are those are good teams. We luckily we didn't have to play Miami last year, but NC State's just always kind of seemed like I'm not gonna say a sleeping giant, but kind of a sleeper of a football team. They've got the fan base that actually cares. Why they're not unable to put it together and just get consistency out of that football program? Because we know how much trouble they give Clemson every year. You know, it's funny, Bill Con. We were talking about Bill Conley, him and and Stephen Godfrey, who who come on our show. Um, 
in the last couple of years. They talk all the time on their podcast, pardon the, or uh, not pardon the interruption, but PAPN, podcast ain't play nobody. They always talk about NC State as the sleeping giant. It's funny, and you're right. Like it, it is a sleeping giant. If if all things, if Dabo Sweeney goes to NC State, that could potentially, you know, set them on a completely different course. But uh, as it relates to this season in the short term, you're right. Great defensive line. Uh, they got some things. They get. They have some potential for sure. Well, and they've given us trouble the last two years. We should have lost to them last year if it wasn't for those missed field goals. So, I mean, that's another game that I have circled this year is, is playing NC State. Wake Forest is one that I have circled. Listen, just because you have superior talent doesn't mean that you're going to win every game. It's really hard to go undefeated. And I think what we're going to see more with the rise of the SEC and the improved quality of play, you're going to see some of these losses, like the losses to Pitt last year. They're just going to happen. But as we've learned, as we've seen with Clemson last year and the ACC or the SEC in years past, Alabama losing some games, one game doesn't, doesn't kill you anymore now that we've got the playoff definitely agree with that i think we we've gotten a longer leash um and and, and the case uh, and, and it's not just our schedule it's not just people realizing the acc because it always seems like the media is a year even two years behind to realize oh the acc is good like it takes them that long um but for clemson clemson has the credibility nationally though like it it shouldn't come to that, but it does. It absolutely does. And, and Clemson will get the benefit of the doubt uh, on, on a national level in those in those playoff uh, uh, meeting rooms. Like they will they will get the benefit. Well, and we'll see if that benefit of the doubt parlays itself into uh, uh, possibly a two loss team. You know, Clemson team making it into a playoff. Depending on you know, you get an early season loss, uh, they maybe lose to Florida State. Does that happen? We'll see. I mean, bottom line is for the foreseeable near future expect some losses that are unexpected that you don't see just because the competition is better and that target is squarely on Clemson's back. There are two teams in the SEC that every team or the ACC that every team is going to circle on their schedule going into the year. It's going to be Clemson and Florida State right now where you get everybody's best shot and the team's just going to have to be prepared for it. We can't just reload and only worry about Florida State anymore. There's many other teams in the ACC that are going to give us trouble. Yeah, and we're going to talk, we're going to do a, a season preview in an upcoming episode in the next couple of weeks. And I, I, I can't wait for people's heads to explode when I say, hey, a team that doesn't win their conference or isn't even the best in their conference does at times on certain situations deserve to make a playoff. And when you get two teams or two, a conference that is as top heavy as the ACC is right now, more so than any other conference, when you have Florida State and Clemson both as looking like top five programs, it's going to happen a team is or a conference is going to have two teams uh, make the playoff and why not Clemson and Florida state? They play in the same division, but well, and, and the pundits have been predicting that for a couple you know, one or two years now, could it be Clemson and Florida state making it in? Yeah. And, and we'll get into this, but I, I, like I, you'd always do hear the counter. Well, if you don't, if you can't win your conference, if you're not the best in your conference, well, how do you, how do you get to make it the playoff? Well, that's quite simple. Like if you're, you can not, you can be the second best team in your conference, but still be the second best team in the nation exactly. or the third or fourth best team. One conference could have the two best teams in the country. And, and, and there's smart people on STS that are, that are the ones that are getting upset about this. Come on, guys. You went to Clemson. You know, use that brain power. Use that education. Use logic. Uh, I think, you know, I think we can make sense of why that there should be uh, two teams from the same conference. And, and we're going to see it uh, sooner than later. So that's a good segue into wrapping up this show. Uh, moving forward in our next episode, we're going to start to – uh, talk about what our expectations are for this Clemson football team this year. What's the ceiling? 
what's the floor? What should we really expect out of these guys on both offense and defense? You know, we expect the offense not to be as good as last year. We expect the defense to be a lot better. But what does that mean as a cohesive whole? What does that mean at Clemson's place in the ACC and in the entire college football landscape? We go into the season going to be ranked in the top five. Is that an accurate prediction? Is that going to stick? Are we better than that? Are we worse than that? We'll see. We'll talk about that further, as well as continuing to check in on the ongoings of fall camp. So until next time, go Tigers. Ben Bulware, take us out. And I'm, so, I'm so happy for our family. It's not, it's not, this is not for just us. This is for the Taj Boyds, the Stephon Anthony's, the Grady Jarrett's, the New Hopkins, Sammy Watkins. Y'all built this. Y'all started this foundation. And all we did is build upon it. And we finished it. It's been 35 long years. Clemson, y'all been waiting 35 years. It's finally coming home, baby. It's coming home.